Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today in Isaiah chapter 37, we see what happens when Hezekiah, unlike his father, turns to Yahweh for help. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of Yahweh. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them out forth. It may be that Yahweh your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that Yahweh your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says Yahweh, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhaka, king of Cush, he has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction, and you shall be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of Yahweh and spread it before Yahweh. Hezekiah prayed to Yahweh, O Yahweh of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Yahweh, and hear. Open your eyes, O Yahweh, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Yahweh, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Yahweh, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Yahweh. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that Yahweh has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With my many chariots I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, to cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to its remotest height, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters, to dry up the sole of my foot, all the streams of Egypt. 
Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it has grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me, because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from that. Then in the third year sow and reap, and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. Therefore thus says Yahweh concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares Yahweh. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of Yahweh went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people rose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adremelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. Hezekiah's response to hearing the threats of Sennacherib through the Rabshaka caused the same result that it had for Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah. He, too, tears his clothes. This is a sign of mourning and grief. Um, it leads you to believe that these men truly thought this threat could harm them that they were not yet trusting that God would deliver them. Although we'll see that from Hezekiah in this, in this chapter. So Hezekiah goes to the temple, he goes to the house of Yahweh, and he has Eliakim and Shebna go with the priests to the prophet Isaiah to speak to him. So now we have the prophets, the priests, and the king all involved, the leaders of God's people, not just a government, but... These are all the these are the leaders. These are the ones who are are entrusted by God to care for this people. In Isaiah's note to Isaiah, sorry, Hezekiah's note to Isaiah, he notes that the Rabshaka has mocked the living God, and he asks Isaiah to pray that God will respond, that God will care for the remnant of Judah that remains. So Isaiah sends the response from Yahweh. Interesting, just the grammar in verse 5. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah spoke. It doesn't even make it sound like the servants got to speak first, that they got to share Hezekiah's message, but that rather God just knew the message and sent word already to Isaiah so Isaiah could already speak. That may not be the case, but grammatically it kind of sounds that way, which is fun. Now, God speaks, God replies, 
and tells them to not be afraid and that he's going to drive Sennacherib away for the time being, which happens. Uh, we see that in this very text as well. That there's going to be a rumor and that's going to come up in verse 9 in just a moment. Now, when the Rabshaka left, he found Sennacherib over at Libna, which is about 10 miles to the north of Lachish. But by this time, Sennacherib has already heard a rumor that the king of Cush, which is essentially Ethiopia today, is coming to fight him. And so he has more preparations to do. He's going to leave Israel, he's going to leave Judah behind for the moment. Just for the moment. But as he does, he sends a parting letter, uh, and it's really just building on what he had said before. Instead of just mentioning the, the names of three cities that he's conquered, he adds several. We had Hamath, Arpad, and Sepharvaim before. Now we get Gozan, Paran, Rezif, Eden, Telassar, Hena, Iva. So we went from three to ten. We have a number of completion here in the text. I mean, it is a brag of Sennacherib that he is in control of the earth. He's conquered everything he could, essentially. He's, he's continuing to march on. Yow, uh, so that letter comes to Hezekiah. Hezekiah brings it before Yahweh. He brings it into the temple. He lays it out in the house of the Lord, and he prays. This is excellent. Hezekiah takes his plea to God. This is extremely contrasted with what his father had done. We talked about the connection of the washer's field, helping to tie these two events together. Hezekiah here, trusting in Yahweh, taking his concerns, his fears to Yahweh, and allowing Yahweh to be the one who delivers him, who saves him. So in the prayer, a couple of neat things. First, Hezekiah notes that God is enthroned above the cherubim. So throne is the word that you want to take out of that. The Ark is actually the throne. We talk about the Ark of the Covenant sometimes, and typically the pictures that you see of it just make it seem like it's a box. There's not just this random box inside of the temple. It was the throne. The temple is the very place where God dwells in the midst of the people. This is his His throne on earth as he, he rules his, his creation. And it had two cherubim, two angels, one on each side. Hezekiah notes that Yahweh is the only God, he alone. He notes that the all those false ones uh, that were just mentioned in the, the letter of Sennacherib, they weren't actually gods. They were just idols made by man, so they were destroyed because of that reason. They had no defense. But now... Hezekiah pleads to Yahweh that he would act as he, he is, is really the Lord, that he would act to save Judah so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Yahweh. That's a, a good reasoning. I mean, it's not even Hezekiah just praying on his own people's behalf. He's praying for the world to see. Make this an event that shares your glory, that shares who you are with all of creation. God did that with Egypt back in the account of the Exodus, and God will do that here. Um, that's, that's what verse 36 is going to accomplish. Now, Sennacherib's fall is the next section. God actually gives a response. Isaiah sends a response to Hezekiah uh, of a, the word that he is going to speak 
of Sennacherib. So when you read verses 22, the quote that starts in 22, all the way through 29, you want to hear this not as though it's spoken to Hezekiah, although Isaiah is giving it to Hezekiah, but these are words God is speaking essentially to Sennacherib. So she despises you. She scorns you, wags her head behind you. So that's the, the reference here is the people of Jerusalem, God's people, look down on Sennacherib. The virgin comment there, she is pure to God. She is holy. She's untouched, undefiled, is what, what we're getting at there. Now, verse 23, God acknowledges that Sennacherib has mocked him. He has mocked the Holy One of Israel. And then he goes into what the mockery is. He goes into the boasting of Sennacherib in verses 24, uh, 25, that his kingdom has expanded far and wide, and Sennacherib brags about it. Well, it's true. He was just doing that. Um, 26, though. God speaks and says, this was his plan from long ago. Now, if you're a king, and you heard something like that, those words could be terrifying. But it is God who has destined this to happen. It is God who has, has made this come about. God has used Assyria to destroy other faithless nations. And now, as we get down to 28 and 29, God is going to use other nations to judge faithless Assyria. God knows all about them. He knows about, I mean, that's the sitting down, going out, coming in stuff. He knows everything that they do. He knows that they've raged against him. He knows they've mocked him. He knows that they have not repented. Um, we see this complacency word here. We saw that back in chapter 32, three times describing the women of Jerusalem and a call to repentance. Here, Sennacherib is not repenting. So God is going to destroy Assyria. They will be led away as slaves or led captive. That's the hook in the nose. Can you imagine that? To actually have a hook placed in your nose, like a fish hook. But that was the way they often led slaves in, into captivity, and so it would happen to the Assyrians at the hand of Babylon. Now, from verse 30 onward, God shifts this conversation back to Hezekiah. So even though they are going to be under siege, this promise is a great blessing. They will get to grow their own crops. They will get to eat their own food. They will be okay. And not only okay, verse 31, the remnant that survives, the remnant is going to take root downward. So they're going to stay here. They're going to be in Ju Judah and they're going to bear fruit upward. They're going to continue to grow as God's people. That's a wonderful promise. And it has a meaning really, again, twofold. You might even say threefold. It's very present at the moment for Hezekiah, as they're not going to be defeated by Assyria. But also, even after being defeated by Babylon, they'll, they'll get restored. They'll get to return to Jerusalem. They'll take root there again. But then this has the reference, ultimately, too, to God's salvation for us as we come to the future. Uh, we think of paradise. Yahweh of hosts will do this. God will deliver. God will save he says that down in 35, as he says that Sennacherib will not come against the city, will not come into the city. 
but instead God will defend it. He will save it for his own sake and for the sake of David. Now ask your children what that means. Why for the sake of David? For God's sake, it's so that he continues to have a people for himself. He's made this promise, so he's going to keep it. Now for David's sake, that refers to the specific promise God gave to David. Is that 2 Samuel chapter 7? That God makes the promise to David that one of his descendants will sit on the throne of Judah forever? Of Israel forever? If Israel is completely wiped out, that doesn't happen. So God is going to defend his people. Now it's interesting then that the referent of that sake of my servant David is Jesus. He's the Messiah who will come to save. The very next phrase may indeed be a reference to Jesus. The angel of Yahweh oftentimes in the Old Testament does seem to indicate not just an angel, but rather the pre-incarnate Christ. And we don't want to talk about Jesus as being an angel. But the way that the, the texts around that particular phrase in the Old Testament go, it, it really it can sound like Jesus. So anyway, uh, Jesus, God himself, or if it is just an angel, either way, strikes down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers overnight. They wake up in the morning and, and most of their army has been devastated. There's nothing left. They have no choice but to depart. This is the world's superpower. God has overnight just devastated the greatest army in the world. That answers Hezekiah's prayer, that God will do something that all the kingdoms of the earth would know that he is God, just as he devastated Egypt's army years before. How far before would that be? About 700 years prior? And now he's done it again. And then as Sennacherib runs home, he is eventually assassinated by his own children. A couple of his boys kill him, and then they flee because they assassinated the king. And one of his other sons takes the throne. So we will see what we can learn of Esarhaddon in the chapters to come.